You are listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. It's a very special time of year. It's the most special time of year. It's time for a new Mike Flanagan miniseries based on fear. Woo! I'm going to crack me open a beer because it's Midnight Mass. Hell yes, it is. I can't believe there wasn't more. There, I mean, literally, it was like a week before this came out. They're like, by the way, there's a new Mike Flanagan miniseries about the drop. I'm like, wait, what? What? What the fuck? I rarely get on Netflix stuff ahead of time, like to go to the press portal and go, can you send me this early? Can you send me this early? But that one, I was like, fuck, I'm going to miss it. It'll be playing while I'm at Fantastic Fest, because which is when the first day it launched. And I won't have a chance to I'd like literally watch the whole thing in like a day and a half before Fantastic Fest because they sent me the press links to it. I was like, and I get to Fantastic Fest expecting people will be like kind of their half days and keep spoiling shit and nobody saw it. So Wow. Well they didn't advertise it as a Mike Flanagan either on Netflix. They were no. just like, Hey look, remember that kid from Friday Night Lights? Yeah. The trailer dropped like super last minute. Yeah. I, yeah. I kinda like that. It was a good surprise that people genuinely discovered. I've had to yell at people about it, go, You seriously don't know there's a new Mike Flanagan miniseries. Don't you call yourself a horror fan? What are you doing? <laughs> all right. So somebody out there is like, All right, I don't know why I listen to all the one of us reviews, but I do, and I don't know what you're talking about, Chris. Fill us in. Mike Flanagan again is a horror filmmaker who has done some of the really really great horror films of the last 10 years like absentia oculus believe it or not ouija 2 ouija origin of evil really really good two really good stephen king adaptations gerald's game and the i would have thought was unadaptable as well dr sleep he did the netflix supernatural horror series the haunting of hill house based on the shirley jackson novel but that totally went, did its own interpretation and was widely regarded as one of the greatest things on television that year or i would say any year and then the standalone <laughs> second season not attached to it at all just other than name the haunting of bly manor in 2020 based on the turn of the screw that i would argue would have been more popular if it hadn't had the haunting of in the title because i think everyone was was like, I want something more like this thing. And it's not like that thing. It's like a totally different thing. And I'm glad that this was not called The Haunting of Midnight Mass, because that also <laughs> would have been very confusing, considering it is not like either one of those shows, except that it is, in fact, a miniseries again. It is, in fact, on Netflix again. It is, in fact, by Mike Flanagan again. It's OK. It's a lot like it in some ways. It even has a lot of the same actors in it. And it also deals with grief and loss and things like that. It's Flanagan likes to make horror that you know at some point this is going to make me cry, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> That's what he does. Very sad, melancholy, but genuinely frightening as fuck when it's ready to be horror things. And we're here to review the latest Midnight Mass. Joining me is Frank. Hello. I've been to Midnight Mass. Have you, Chris? 
Fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> Heathen. You know my opinions about organized religion, Frank. A little bit. They're very strong. Yeah, I know. I've heard of them. <laughs> and Bradley. Ooh, welcome to mass. <laughs> this bread represents my body and my blood. So if I was to jump on you and rip open your flesh and just start eating it, it would be just a sacrament, right? <sighs> I don't know, man. That cool. Bad. Maybe I will go to church. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've changed my mind. I'm, I'm converting to something else is probably my last words if that happened to me. Any religion that doesn't have a metaphor about cannibalism at its core, I'm good with. Uh, this isn't one of those films that's talking about Christianity in a metaphorical sense, actually, which was interesting. I think that really it's kind of a dealing with one of the core tenets of, well, specifically Catholicism, which is the idea of forgiveness and how much we just kind of toss that word around and don't really understand what it means and don't really think about what it means. And this is kind of a long meditation on that, interrupted by lots and lots of monsters killing people horribly. <laughs> Hell yeah, it's the best way to think about yeah. grief and loss, certainly. The big star here is Hamish Linklater, who is giving the really the performance of his career. I mean, even better than his character in Legion. And he plays a priest coming to this very small island town, a sort of dying island town, to take over the church from the previous priest who has... You know, is very, very, very old and everyone's gossip says, I think he's probably hospitalized. He wasn't altogether there in the head anymore, if you know what I mean. But he doesn't seem to be our primary star here as this thing starts. As it starts, it's Riley Flynn, played by Zach Guilford, who plays a former big rich guy who comes home to his hometown where he's originally from because he got drunk. He killed a woman accidentally, like hit her, like died. She died right in front of him. And uh, he spent four years in jail. And now his whole life is just about just kind of giving up. Like nothing matters. He's just he every night as he goes to sleep, he looks and all he can see is her there with the glass all stuck in her face, reflecting the lights of the police sirens around and this creepy blue and red. Is something wrong with the CG? No, that's how that's supposed to look sort of way. Well, it was the police <laughs> lights reflecting off the glass in her face. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Beautifully haunting, I thought it looked. I thought it was a great image. It's just so, you spend a, your takes you a second to go, why does it look that way? And then you're like, oh, it's the police lights reflecting in the glass in her face. I think, is this going to be a ghost story? Because she appears very to him, at least as we see it very, you know, viscerally. She appears like she's floating on the ceiling in a very haunting of Hill House sort of way. But no, this is just a reflection at what his mental state is at. It helps that his childhood sweetheart, played by Kate Siegel, who interestingly is the director's real-life wife, she also has recently returned to this island after being one of the first ones to get out, came back very pregnant, is now a school teacher, and is not there with a husband. Right off the bat, she's like, you, Riley, come here, let us rekindle something. I don't know. I mean, you're watching this. You're pretty sure there's rekindling going on at some point. <laughs> but there's a lot of characters. We would, This would take two hours to go through all the characters, like, in length. Like, Riley's got a very sweet but very devout mother, played by Kristen Lehman. His father, Ed Flynn, is played by Henry Thomas, who's a fisherman and is having a hard time dealing with his son coming home and what he did. I mean, they're dealing with many different types and takes on Christianity here, including... A doctor who Sarah Gunning, who herself appears to be a bit of an atheist, played by Annabeth Gish, but 
Her mother, who's extremely elderly, is very, very religious. I don't want to say too much about who plays her for reasons. Anyway, so there's like the Raul Aburi plays Ali, who's the son of the sheriff, played by Raul Coley, who you've seen in a bunch of different stuff, including The Haunting of Bly Manor, iZombie, various other things. And he is a Muslim, which is obviously part of the discussion about religion. There's a lot of stuff, and it all centers around, eventually, Hamish Linklater and the enigmatic new priest who has come in, and everybody kind of likes, even the people who are not religious, like, you know, it's hard not to like this guy. He's very charismatic. He restarts up, or just starts up, an AA group just for him and the main character who needs one. is like, because he keeps having to leave the island to go to his court-mandated AAs. He's like, no, we can do that here. We'll just do it with you and me. I mean, you like him. Even when you start to realize, oh, some shit's going on here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went, he said that old priest, he went on a walkabout in Jerusalem, huh? Never came back, huh? Hmm. You didn't suspect him right away? Yes, absolutely I did. Because of all the other actors who play really old people in here had terrible old age makeup on. <laughs> it's very terrible old age makeup. He arrives at his house carrying a trunk and I'm like, ooh, I don't like that. I don't like this guy. And yeah, the town immediately loves him. And I, I was just thinking, if you just saw his trunk, you'd think, what's in the trunk, father or Monsignor? Whatever it's a big trunk. With. It's a huge trunk. Yeah, you're Catholic. What do you need all that for? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> What do you got in there? What's in the trunk, man? What's in the trunk? Souvenirs. Gifts. Oh, no. It's just Gwyneth Paltrow's head. It's fine. Oh, that's fine. Okay. It's about time someone took Goop down. She had it covered. Yo, monsters. (laughs) (laughs) Speak that way, the first lady of Marvel, please. Really? Okay. Yeah. I think that's yeah. Scarlett Johansson, but whatever. Um, I agree with no, you. No, Scarlett's <laughs> not. It's Gwyneth. There's a lot of stuff I don't want to say, including what the monsters are, because they don't even reveal it till almost the halfway point of the series, what the monster and the big thing behind it is. And it's a, you know, a big spoiler to even suggest. I mean, I keep going, I mean, it's Mike Flanagan doing a very Mike Flanagan type show, but also showing his love for early Stephen King in a way that if I was to tell you what book I'm referring to, you'd immediately know what the monster is. And that would be a spoiler that I don't want to make for you because it was fun discovering it. Yeah, it was. (laughs) Yeah. There are ways to reference Stephen King without spoiling, though, like that cult leader from the grocery store from The Mist shows up in this as a different person (laughs) named Beverly. I really think like going back to like the without saying what we're talking about, the way that that is sort of revealed the monster. Yeah. The way that that's set up though, with this like long scene in a confessional, I thought it was brilliant. I think that's when it really turned for me. That's when the tides really turned and it became an amazing piece. When, when like these long drawn out monologues really started to just become more alive. I mean, everything was alive beforehand, but I think that's just was like, okay, I'm in, I'm not leaving this. I'm in for the long haul. I mean, we both said the old age makeup was like, okay, clearly at some point we're going to see these same people as younger. I don't know if they're going to get younger. I don't know if there's going to be a segment that's going to flash back, but I'm hyper focused on the fact that that's unnecessary and bad amount of old age makeup on some of these actors, right? (laughs) Just a little bit into the second episode where I'm like, okay, I figured out what the monster is. But most people told me they didn't figure out till they dropped it. I was like, okay, all the clues are there for this. I think I figured out the general gist and I have a good idea how this is going to end. Okay. 
that's not necessarily a problem if it's all good, because I don't think Midnight Mass, the real point of Flanagan, was the horror. The horror is just what to sell it with. The real yeah. point is the story of these people talking to each other and learning the meaning of forgiveness, which I know doesn't make it seem like it, that's not you want to hear about giant monsters killing people and ripping them apart. That's what you want to see it for. But it really becomes beautiful and heartrending the way that these characters interact with each other. And yes, there is a lot of monologuing in this thing. Yeah. But. I think that's why he called it Midnight Mass. Great monologuing, though. To kind of go like, that's kind of the theme of the whole thing is people talking about things in a giving mass sort of way, but they're not always priests. Sometimes it's the priest doing it, and other times it's just one character to another. And it only takes you out of it as so far as that's normally, I mean, you don't see that happen that much. But I think it really fit the context, the larger context of the whole thing quite well. I really thought it was interesting to get to know everybody's character through their takes on their place in on this earth and their ideas of forgiveness or the afterlife or meaning in the everyday. There's a character that experiences a really, really like severe loss and the way they react to it a few scenes later on in the episode, I think is some of the most, not only really, really good writing, but just a really insightful, beautiful and pragmatic way of looking at what's happened to them. And I think this series is full of those sort of gems. And when it does get sort of monstery, and when it does get really like action heavy, it's anticlimactic in a way because everything else that's come before it has been so much richer just by being about these ideas and philosophies according to each different character yeah i agree i think the last episode seemed a lot longer than it had to be since all the monologuing was finished and it was just kind of an action set piece although a very brilliantly uh, beautifully filmed one yeah. there was so much monologuing in this one character and this won't spoil the, anything says look this isn't easy to say so i'm just gonna say it and what he says next is a five-minute monologue. It's like, buddy. <laughs> and there are certain times when people will finish monologuing, and I'll rub my face like, you know, that was a yes or no question. You could have just said yes or no. Oh, Brad. And that's me. I realize that's a personal problem. Like, I'm a grump about it. I asked my mother-in-law about it because she grew up on an East Coast town, and she's like, yeah, that's how people talk. They tell each other stories. This is your problem. Waiter standing there going, but seriously, do you want Parmesan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> She's a lighthouse keeper's daughter, and she told me, this is how they talk there, Brad. If there's an issue with it, you're going to critique it and sound foolish, because this is how people on the coast talk. I thought that would win you over. There is a lot of beautiful monologues in this, but sometimes it's like, yeah, it's 530, not... You want to know what time it is? I'll tell you what time it is. Or rather, what time changed my life forever. And here's my backstory. And remember the Twin Towers? Remember that? Nobody's like, asking whoa. those questions, though. No one's asking yeah. those questions of each other. Okay. Yeah, it's not like the movie Remember Me. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It's much better than that. <laughs> like, I just asked you, how's your mom? <laughs> did, this, uh, did this show make either of you two feel kind of guilty? No, 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 but I also don't have any feelings of like, I like literally every bit of religious dogma has been wiped from my system long ago. Oh, okay. For me, like, it'll be like, and isn't forgiveness powerful? And outwardly, I'd be like, it is. And I would forgive. But my inner thoughts are like, no, you wouldn't. You would totally like turn your nose up at a person like this. And I think maybe Flanagan was daring enough to do that. Not like make people feel guilty, but like, are you as forgiving as you think you are? Do you understand why it's important to forgive? 
Do you realize that's a two-person agreement contract in forgiveness? And if someone doesn't honor that, that's okay? There's a scene where this younger actress gives the best speech I've ever heard about forgiveness. And that's the part where I was like, oh, my gosh, where's the tissues? I did not expect this from this young actress. So, yeah, Frank, the writing is gorgeous. Just sometime I was like, uh, it was a yes or no question, you know. <laughs> You can just pass the biscuits next time, yeah. Frank. <laughs> I don't know. That's a little too cynical for this series because I'm I very think cynical. That, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm surprised. Like you cried at Soul three times. <laughs> three times. Oh wow. He cried. Yeah, maybe it is apocalypse. <laughs> Damn. I don't go to church. I don't believe in organized religion, but I am still a Catholic. And I still do pray. I pray every day. And really, at least what I came with was feeling just not necessarily peace, but just enrichment with every episode. And I don't know why. I found it really for lack of a better term, inspiring. I don't want to put like an inspiring label on it because it is still a story. It is a narrative and it's a real constructed narrative. But I think a lot of the ideas and the way they're presented here and the way they're discussed are very honest. I found myself just getting lost in them because it's stuff that I, it's notions yeah. and stuff that I just always just assumed I had a certain relationship with and just let it be. And it was good to have these different moments where you think, well, you know, take, take God out of it. What do I feel about forgiveness what do i feel about xyz it's asking some of the questions especially about forgiveness that are often discussed by people who actually do take their christianity quite seriously you know who really want to think things through and don't go well it's whatever it says in the bible you know we're like no we gotta ask what does that mean what do those words mean but that are equally as applicable to people who are not religious at all i mean the questions brad referred to like them specifically going so what does that mean to be forgiven i don't think he comes to a flat straight answer. I think he says it's important to think about it a lot and to realize and accept the importance of asking for forgiveness for yourself and from others and to really think that through. Not you should automatically do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. who can do that? Even Jesus would, was like, I'm going to fucking whip these moneylenders, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Peter, <laughs> get me my taxation belt. <laughs> <laughs> can we talk about the show's heavy? Can we talk about Samantha Sloyan? 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 Yeah. Who, who is, I, one of you guys said earlier was like the character Marsha Gay Harding played in The Mist. Yeah. Very Stephen King-ish religious character who is a hypocrite, who's very serious. But I think the difference between her and uh, Harden's performance, who is playing it as like a near psychotic person on the edge. Here, Sloan, this character, Bev Keen, who's a very overbearing member of the church, but kind of, she does it more through passive aggressiveness. Yeah. And she does a great job because there's a while you think this character might be savable. Yeah. You're like, you're not a hundred percent sure that she's going to get, take the wrong path by the end. Those degrees of subtlety that make this work. Cause when it's that overt, characters like that you're like well then i don't care i'm just not that interested in what happens to them the thing that makes her so like much of a force and a presence and just just so scary for me is her certainty just like there's no wavering there's no swaying her mind one way or the other the way she's decided it is, is the way it is mm -hmm. that's what makes her so terrifying she says everything with such conviction my God, that just makes her, it makes the performance really, really great. It makes the character really, really appealing to watch, interesting to watch. And if I had to, I went after this and watched, um, some junk interviews with her just because I needed to just remind myself that this is a real person at the other end of this character. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and she's lovely. She's got beautiful hair. She's got this really great smile. Like she's cool, but oh my gosh, that character was a centerpiece of the show for me in a lot of ways. I agree. It wouldn't have worked without her performance, but let's go to final thoughts. Bradley, 
you can get us started. All right. So what I really love about Michael Flanagan is his eye. Riley sees a dead lady that he had a hand in murdering every night before he goes to bed. But before he lays his head on the pillow, Michael Flanagan does this trick where we see he's restless before he even sees the ghost. He tilts the camera to where it looks like he's standing up against the wall in his bed. And I'm like, that's really cool. I'm getting that he's not going to sleep well. Oh, holy shit, a ghost. <laughs> and he does a lot of tricks like that. There's scenery where there's a beautiful sunset and these boys are camping and they're surrounded by cats. And that's normal. The cats decided the island belonged to them. So meow off or deal with it. I wonder what that's like. Yeah, they're surrounded <laughs> by these glowing silver eyes in this scene. And I'm like, they're just having a fun time camping. And I'm very unsettled by all these cats watching them. And that's just so cool. <laughs> there's a real island like that, though, Bradley. There's a there's real cat island out yeah, there. Yeah, there's several of them. Quite Good documentaries about it on uh, Netflix and Disney. I only knew about the one. No, there's a bunch. <laughs> Yeah, don't go there alone or you won't live to tell the tale of what you saw. Unless you're one of the chosen. <laughs> Unless you're one of them, yeah. You probably would be, Chris. I'd be fine. <laughs> yes. I actually like this a lot. It was really difficult to watch after, I'd say, midway through the penultimate. I was like, oh my gosh, this isn't going to go anywhere. <laughs> this is just going to end on a think piece. And I'm going to be like, oh, but I like Scary Monster. And be one of those dorks that's like, Flanagan, I want more Scary Monster. I can I can read philosophy <laughs> on my own time. But I think he delivers on all fronts. The score is so subdued and yeah. simple, but shockingly effective so yeah i think i'm gonna give this eight out of ten long stories about your past during a simple conversation about main street <laughs> so this reminds me of something that happened to me when i was a kid that really changed everything for me so i'm gonna start with that settle in <laughs> Now, I think Flanagan's done another tremendous job here, despite the religious themes. This is not something directed at specifically at religious or non-religious people. It's dealing with a lot of the thoughts and themes of Catholicism, like I said, most specifically forgiveness, but many other things as well. But it's never trying to convince you anything either way. It just wants you to think about stuff and talk about stuff at length, apparently. <laughs> Which is fine. You joke like, oh, I could read philosophy my own, Mike Flanagan. It's like, yeah, but anybody who says that isn't going to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's key. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just so wonderfully written. The worst thing about it is just that the old age makeup obviously gives away something. Something's off here. I wish they had kind of just gone with like older actor, younger actor. But there would have been I don't know if that would have there would have been a way to make that work. It's startlingly emotionally pulling for the whole first three quarters of it. And then the last act of it is more straight horror, but with still some amount of like real emotional punches there. It's very apocalyptic to be sure when it gets there as the, they keep warning you, it's going to be throughout the whole show with some of the characters reminding you of lines from revelations. There's a lot to love in this thing, and it's not going to be everybody's cup of, uh, or uh, I should say, glass of uh, ceremonial wine. <laughs> it was for me. And like I said, I, a lot of stuff, the religious aspects can really turn me off, even if it's good to where I'm like, I just did not enjoy that. I did not feel that way about this at all. And one, again, not because it was yelling at religion. It wasn't. I'm going to give Midnight Mass 
let's face it, you knew I was going to say this, nine islands filled with cats that I someday will be king of. <laughs> I mean, there was no chance it wasn't going to end that way, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I say someday. I've... I've already made some inroads towards a few. Is there like a mass of their own or like a ceremony, like a crowny? What, what would cats have as a crown? I sent over monkey as a diplomat. <laughs> yeah. 